You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey guys, welcome back to The Devoted Podcast. So I explained to you guys last week, we were doing a little bit of a mini series on Proverbs a little bit. And so if you didn't catch last week's, maybe go back and catch that one and then jump in on this one. It's not that they totally build on each other, but last week we did cover what the Proverbs are and what they aren't. We talked a little bit about, are they promises? Is it a principle? That kind of thing. I hopefully gave a little bit of background on that. But then also the thing that we focused on was all the wisdom that is sprinkled through this amazing piece of wisdom literature that we have in scripture. And so we talked about wisdom, and then we talked about the fear of the Lord, that that's where all wisdom begins. So if you didn't catch that, you can go back and check that out. But either way, it's a good one because it, it, that sort of is our, our foundation for all of this. I just think that that piece about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of all wisdom you kind of have to meditate on that one a little bit, don't you? You just need to let that one roll around in your mind, and pray about that, and ask the Lord to show you what what a right understanding of the fear of the Lord is, and asking the Lord to show you wisdom. The thing that I love about wisdom and asking for it, like we talked last week in James, that you just ask, you just ask, and the and the one who gives generously will give us wisdom. But I also love that Scripture is the source of wisdom. That we can just like read the word and that's how we're built up in being able to discern and just kind of like sharpening those discernment skills a little bit that we talked about is super, super important right now. So today I want to just jump into round two of this Proverbs section. And this was going to be just like super practical. I love this, that the Proverbs are very practical, just have some daily, daily applications for us. As we study scripture, there should always be this sanctifying work that's going on. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And Proverbs as being part of the inspired canon of scripture that we have is part of that sanctifying work that we get to do, studying the scriptures, getting to know who the God of the Bible is. It's all God-breathed. It's all profitable for teaching, correction, and training in righteousness, like it says in 2 Timothy. That last part, that last piece, training in righteousness, I see a lot of that in the Proverbs. You know, just good stuff to glean and apply. It's just there's some really practical pieces. So today I wanted to talk about two of these kind of nitty-gritty ones. Do people still say nitty-gritty? That probably sounds old-fashioned, but I want to look at two of these. And we are going to look at words and work. And no, they're not really related to each other, but they're super relatable for us, I think. So first, let's look at words. And honestly, as I started making lists of the Proverbs that talk about the things we say and all of that, I mean, there's way too many. I mean, this would be a far too long (laughs) of a podcast. And I actually am trying to make these ones a little bit shorter, but we'll see how that works out. But I feel like before we look at the Proverbs that specifically look at our words, I want to frame it a little bit with what James tells us about the tongue in general. And you can look in James, it's chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's the section of Scripture that says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man." 
Anybody? Can anybody say they're that? Nope. Goes on and says, able also to bridle his whole body. So if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect and he's able to bridle his whole body whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide the whole body. And then it goes on a little bit. And then in verse five, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And then in verse eight says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. You're thinking, thanks, Aim. That was super encouraging. And a couple things. I love this image, I think, that he gives, partly because I'm an old Wyoming ranch girl that grew up with horses. And I, I get the whole bit idea that goes into the horse's mouth. And, you know, horses, may, I mean, huge animals, extremely powerful animals. And yet you have this metal rod, basically, that goes into the back of the horse's mouth. And you can just, man, you can make them go just a little bit to the right, just a little bit to the left, just by tugging on that rein just a smidge so that that bit in the mouth kind of pulls on that. It's a very small thing that directs a really massively strong animal. And that's always been interesting to me. So I love that, you know, James uses that picture for what this is, because it's that small piece, and our tongue is super small. I mean, it's really not that impressive. The small member, but oh, the damage it can do. I mean, and did you see that? Did you hear that part about full of deadly poison? I kind of don't think we want to acknowledge sometimes that that's us. Like, no, okay, our words aren't really that bad, or we're not going to say anything that is just going to take life or death from someone. We minimize the power of the tongue. But scripture reminds us that no, that's not true. The tongue is a deadly poison. But I don't think that James is just telling us all of this to point out that it's futile. Don't even try, you know. I don't think that's what he's saying. Now, in our own strength, yeah, I think that is so true. Without the wisdom that the Spirit can and will give us, like we've talked about before, he will give us generously, it would be untamable. But I start with that passage in James because I think we need to uh, kind of a reminder of just how powerful our words can be. And they can be used for good and kindness with discernment or for immeasurable evil. And we do see this. Hopefully, we're watching it just from the mouth of someone else. We've seen other people's words be very destructive. Maybe some of those words have even been destructive to us. But sometimes I don't know that we take the chance to go, man, my tongue can be like that, and asking the Lord to help us tame our tongue. Not something we can do in our own strength a lot. But, okay, so I wanted to frame it with that, but there's so many Proverbs on the things that come out of our mouth. So like I said, I'm not going to read all of them because there are a lot, but Proverbs 18.21, let's start there. That one says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So we just talked about this a little bit, how our words are, are far more powerful than we probably give them credit for. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But I, I wanted to look at the second part of that too, and it says, those who love it will eat its fruits. And I was thinking about this one, and that's almost that temptation to live and die, by the words of others, isn't it? You know, the, those who love it will eat by its fruit. 
being in the trap of just really depending on what other people may say about you for good or for bad. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying, where this can be a good thing if you're just you're dying to hear the people that will compliment you. And that's that's just feeding your confidence like you're you can't continue unless you know how that person thinks or what they're going to say about this or whatever. Or the converse is true as well. You know, the negative things that people might say and how that can just be just destroy us. There's that temptation there in our words. The Proverbs is pointing out that we can love it. We can love these words. We can be like, oh, please say a good thing or be super discouraged too, right? If it's something bad. But we will, those who love it will eat its fruits. You're going you're gonna to eat the fruit that it produces, which could be pretty shallow fruit. I think of this sometimes with even on the social media or in Instagram, Facebook, whether you're hearting somebody's post or you're liking it or are you putting the little happy emoji? I mean, do you ever get in that spot when you see a cute post or you see somebody's cool comment and you actually sit there and go, oh, is this a heart emoji? Is this, a, should I be doing the happy cry here? Should I... Isn't it funny that we're actually even going, well, I shouldn't speak for you guys. You guys probably have this far more together than I. But at times I'll go, well, I want to make sure I'm communicating the right way and, you know, make sure they understand this. Like, what if they're communicating something sad? Will my So I have all of these thoughts about what will this like or what will it communicate? Isn't that funny? But it's still a word if you think about it. I know we live in an emoji world right now, but what we're doing with those things is still communicating words. Just we're just using pictures for it. So it kind of made me think about that. And I wanted to chew on this proverb a little bit as it pertains to that and being really overly concerned. Like I want to caution myself to be overly concerned about the comments people might say. Do they like the picture I posted or do they not like it? Or what if this person didn't like or even comment at all? It's just interesting in this day that we are seeming to be almost so dependent upon what other people's words whether it comes in the form of an emoji or an actual letters on the keyboard, how those are affecting us. I think that's a caution there in the Proverbs that to be careful about being just that temptation to live or die by the words or the emoji, whatever the case may be. Proverbs 10.19 is another one. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Oh, boy. We could say some things here, couldn't we? Before I say anything about that, though, let me also tack on there Proverbs 13, 3, which says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Okay, these two, they make me, again, think about the comment pit of social media. When you're tempted to just drop that one comment, you know, somebody said something up there and, oh, I just feel like I, I probably should just let them know. I should probably just clarify this particular thing that they're not quite seeing correctly, you know, in this comment that they made. But it's never one comment, is it? It's never one comment. Because someone is going to have something to say about the thing that you said, and then you'll respond. And rarely, it I, I don't know, does it ever turn out well? I'm not sure if it does. I Usually, I just see it as a giant train wreck. I, it does not go well. And usually at the end, the somebody, the has to just die to themselves and say, oh, okay, you know, Lord bless you and let's move on. You know, I mean, it's, but it can usually not go very well. But I think of these Proverbs 
when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And then in 13.3, when it said, he opens wide, his lips come to ruin. I feel like that it, for some reason, I take this one very gender specific to women. And again, of course, this affects men as well. Not my audience. But if you Google how many words that a woman speaks in a day, they say that, and I don't know who they are, but because whoever figured this out, how boring of a job would that have been? But they say that women speak 20,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. I feel like even just that line right there, women speak 20,000 words a day. When you read that on Google, you're like, is that's basically what Proverbs is saying. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But men, comparatively, they say, speak 7,000 words a minute. Are light bulbs going off for anyone of like, oh, I I hear this and I think of this in the context of my kids a bit because I have three boys and I have I have one kiddo that is far more chatty, of course. So, you know, like I said, it's not always all men are not going to stick to their 7,000 words and vice versa and all that. But women, we like to say stuff. We totally do. And I think this practical word of caution from the Proverbs is important to keep in mind because when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And I think we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And again, that's why I sort of like to frame it with that James passage on how poisonous the tongue can be. Because if we give some respect to the danger that our tongue can be, I think it might help us filter some of that. Other Proverbs on our words, Proverbs 15, 1 through 2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This one can be so hard, can't it? You know, it's usually if whatever statement was said, if your brain is going to the harsh word, putting that aside and being able to say the soft answer can be so hard for sure. But I love this very practical proverb just reminding us to have that soft answer. I think probably the best way for that to work on that is just to practice it. And even just to have encouraging words, words that like are building other people up, you're going to have a lot more soft words, I think, in your back pocket to pull out in those situations if you're used to encouraging others and used to using types of, an of soft answers. But it goes without saying, right, that we want to, of course, avoid the harsh word that stirs up anger. But it can be so difficult. And I do feel like there are so many things right now that are so contentious that it is a good word to us to take that pause and either go back to the first proverb we were mentioning in 1019, where it's many words, where many words are there, transgression is not lacking. Probably just remember that, hey, I should save my 20,000 words for something else. or to take that pause and have that soft answer for the situation. Something that will be building and encouraging even. And that may seem hard to do. And perhaps, of course, in our own flesh, that will be really hard to do. But that's the that's something that will turn away the wrath. Another one, 1526 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Are our words gracious? There's another proverb in 11.16 that says, a gracious woman gets honor. Boy, I sure do feel like there is so much of this idea about what does even a gracious woman look like? What does it look like even to have our words full of grace? 
we have really distorted and I think messed up what the image is, should be for who the Lord created us to be. Anymore, it's turning out to be that, you know, if you are a woman, you need to be so proud and loud about your rights and what you're entitled to. And But how much have we lost, ladies, on just being gracious women? I love the, that proverb, a gracious woman gets honor. And it's sort of when you see the picture that we see of what women look like right now in culture, well, sometimes they're not honored. And perhaps it's some of this truth here in the proverb here. Are we gracious? A gracious woman will receive honor. I think there is a lot of things that we can reevaluate on what our perspective of ourself, like the just the lies that you allow culture to seep in about what we deserve as women, the things that we are entitled to, the whole women's empowerment thing is not leading in a gracious path. I love these Proverbs that remind us to have words that are gracious. Here's another one. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I think I've been convicted on this one every single time I read it. I'm terrible at this, guys. My husband will be talking to me about something. He's trying to complete a thought. And I'm already like answering the first part of his question or I've already figured out what I want to say before he's even finished what he's either saying or asking. I've got my whole plan. And I'm terrible at that. Again, don't you love how practical these proverbs are? Because we do this. If one gives an answer before he hears, listen. We just need to listen. So many of these, I think that maybe that's why the Lord put this words one to tackle first, because maybe I just needed to hear a lot of these too, because we just have so many words, but sometimes we're not doing the part where we just need to listen. Super key, whether it's, um, you know, a friend that's telling you like a situation they're going through, or guys, what if it's your kids coming home telling you about their first day of in-person school? You just need to listen. We just need to hear everything that's going on. This can be particularly important, too, if it's something where maybe maybe a judgment needs to be made at the end of what they're saying. It's so important to actually hear the whole story before we start, you know, jumping out. But did you catch what it says at that second part? He said the one that it gives an answer before years, it says it is folly and shame. You know, I'm not real comfortable being in the camp of folly and shame in the Proverbs, because if you've read Proverbs, you know, and we'll talk about it in a second, too, with um, pertains to, to work and stuff. But there's several characters that are sort of, you know, portrayed in Proverbs and fool, folly, shame, wicked. Those are not the camps we want to be in. And so I feel like that's a pretty strong word. Folly and shame is the one that gives an answer before he hears. See, don't you love the practicalness of the Proverbs? It's so good. The next one I wanted to look at was quarrelsome words. And these ones are interesting to me, guys, because they are specifically directed to us as ladies, okay? Proverbs 21.9 and then also verse 19 in the same chapter, they say very similar things. It says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. That's verse 9. And the 19 says, it is better to live in a desert land with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. It tacks on fretful because that's really fun to live with too, right? We can be this, guys. We so can, you know, and we, you see it when it's always easier to see this sin, I think, on someone else. And then as our pastor always says, you know, my sin on you looks really bad, but, you know, my sin on me, that's not so bad. 
we do this and we can be contentious and quarrelsome about things. And I think because we belittle the power of our words and our tone in our homes, that we can kind of fall into the lie that, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's no big deal. I just had a big, I had a bad day. You guys just need to be understanding when really we're being quarrelsome. And Proverbs has a really strong word about that. But it's interesting to me, guys, that this one is directed straight to us as ladies. So I think we need to listen up on this one, because if there is a situation in your house with a roommate, with your husband, with your kids, choose a different path. Choose one of these other Proverbs that that where you've got some words of grace or a soft answer as opposed to the quarrelsome words. It's in 9.13. This is where they start to talk about some of these characters. But in 9.13, it says, it talks about the woman folly. And again, it it gives a a female connotation to that word. It says she is loud, seductive, and knows nothing. So these are two times, and I think there's there's a couple others as well. But these ones the woman folly and then the quarrelsome words are really focused in on us gals. Sometimes I think we get so concerned that everything is so equal in the genders and being spoken of to everyone. That's our culture talking. That is not scripture. That we need to just take it when it's when it's a word to us gals, we need to take that word. Ephesians 4:29 says, "Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths." And I and I like that unwholesome thing. Because whether we're talking about being quarrelsome or, you know, contentious, whether we're talking about, you know, giving that answer before we listen to the whole thing, whether it's a harsh word, I think all of that could kind of fall into what Ephesians 4.29 would be, is talking about, about being unwholesome. In some other translations, it says corrupting talk. And the corrupting talk, when it shows that it, one of the definitions it gives for it is unsound which it, the meaning there is just not in good condition. So words that are damaged, decayed, unsound, and useless. That's what they're meaning by the corrupting talk. So when Ephesians says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, that's a pretty broad definition if you think about it. And as I was reading through some of these Proverbs, I thought, wow, that that really goes hand in hand with some of these admonitions to us about whether we're being quarrelsome or harsh with our words or just sharing too many words? Are our words corrupting? We keep going back to that James passage because it just keeps reminding me of how small this member of the body is and yet how potent, how much force can be meted out with uh, the words that we say. And that next part of Ephesians 4 in 29, it says, only such that is good for building up. So it's meaning, let's take, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion and may give grace to those who hear. There we hear that grace again. I love these reminders here to have words that are full of grace for us as women. I love that. But that's a high bar. But I'm thankful we have some of these. Maybe, you know, we often talk about don't just hear these scriptures and move along your day. Don't just write down a reference. But maybe go through the Proverbs and write out a couple of these specifically about our words. Stick that post-it note around your house for a little bit just as a reminder of what we want our words to be, having words of grace that are pure. I love that. A couple good uses of our words. We've talked a little bit about words of grace, but there are some Proverbs that specifically say, here's a good use for your words. One of them is in Proverbs 31, 8, and it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. 
I love this passage. And in my Bible right next to it, I have written the unborn. Guys, who more could we think of that is mute, that are destitute and no one speaks for them? I love that word there. But there are so many. It's not just the unborn, is it? That can't speak for themselves. That is a good use for our words. Verse 26 in that same chapter reminds us that this is the famous virtuous woman passage, but in 26 it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Just another great reminder there of what our words should look like. Kindness, gracious words. So good. So then this next verse is going to kind of segue us into the next piece I want to talk about, and that's work. But it had a little bit of what our mouth does here, too. So I thought I'd put this one in here. Proverbs 14, 23, in all toil, there is profit, but mere talk only ends in poverty. The person that just, we talked about those 20,000 words. Well, they're the ones that want to say the 20,000 words about all the things that they're going to do, but then they never do those things. There's no follow-up. There's no, there's nothing that comes of it. The Proverbs remind us that that just ends in poverty. That's just mere talk. But the beginning of it, it talks about, starts to talk about work. In toil, there is a profit. And this is something that's all around in Proverbs. I I mentioned that there's a couple of these characters I think of in Proverbs. And one of the things that these characters give attributes of is specific to work. And you'll see the fool, you'll see the sluggard, the wicked, folly. I mentioned that one earlier. But the things that the Proverbs will give examples through these things that are showing us that work is a good thing. Proverbs 14, 23 said, in a toil, there is profit. So right there, work, there is profit in work. There's several in those characters we had, they give in Proverbs 6, chapter 6, it talks about the ant and it contrasts the hardworking ant with the sluggard that's, you know, not gathering his food, whereas the ant is doing its job and, and gathering its food. In chapter 6 also in 9 through 11 says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? The sluggard is one, one of those characters. When will you arise from your sleep? This is one we quote at our house. Are you ready? A little sleep, a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit. We say that one a lot for our teenagers who like to sleep in way too long. Proverbs 10.4 talks about a slack hand causes poverty. 10.5, again, talks about he who gathers in summer is prudent, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. I know this probably seems basic in some ways, but the Bible promotes hard work. It, it does promote hard work. That very first one I read in that in toil there is a prophet. And today we find so many things, I think, in life that just make everything easier. And I'm not knocking that because, you know, who does not love that Alexa can, you know, add to our shopping list? And we have little apps that can adjust the heat in our house so we don't even have to walk down the hall. And, you know, there's so many things that are automated for us and things that are easy. We just recently had the power go out here in the Pacific Northwest. And or if you're listening to us in Texas, you guys went through that as well. Probably a lot of the country did, but those are the two that I'm aware of. And I guys, it's first world problems, I know, but man, did I miss my heat. When I was a kid, I grew up in Wyoming on a big old ranch and there was one big Wyoming storm, which okay, that's not saying much because we had storms all the time. But we had one that was big enough And we were snowed in and no power for five days. And the thing is, I thought that was like an eternity back then. And what's funny is some of our Portland friends that are probably listening right now, they're probably thinking only five days. (laughs) 
<laughs> because guys, this was something else, wasn't it? But it made me start to think about all the things that everything is more work, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter whether it is getting warm water. If you want to wash dishes, well, you got to boil water. We were blessed enough to have a still a gas cooktop that worked. Now, I had to light it. My little, you know, the electric, the self-starter thing didn't work, but I could still do it. But everything, there's an extra step for, isn't it? And for sure, even after days of the power being out, I would still walk into every single room and turn the light switch on. Is that just like a muscle memory thing that we walk into a room and turn on lights? Because I was doing it still for days. I don't understand. But work is really important. And I found that as even as a parent trying to figure out ways that my kids could be doing more work and what that should look like, you know, city life does not necessarily always lead itself to a, a ton of hard work. And so we always tried to see if we could find opportunities for our kids that they could learn to work. Because here's the thing, we're seeing here in the Proverbs that it's just a biblical principle. The Bible does support hard work. And that word goes for us as moms, for sure. We need to be encouraged just personally that we need to be busy and do work. But then also, if you're a mom and you've got kiddos, you're doing your kids a giant favor if you just teach them to work. They can do things so much younger than we think. And I, 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 man, I just struggle when I see a sweet mama who, I don't know, she's got some teenagers and, or let's even go before then. Because this is, I think, when you really start to see some color with some kids when they're like that 11, 12-year-old age and they don't know how to work. And usually if they're 11 or 12 and they kind of don't really know how to work, it's probably because when they were five and four, they weren't given age-appropriate jobs that they could do then. And it's quite shocking for those kids. If they, if they grew up never having to do any kind of work at all, and then all of a sudden they're all, you know, you look at your son and he's like half man-child. I mean, I don't know how they get so tall, but they do. And so you look at them by stature and you're like, man, yeah, you can do some work here. You know, you need to go out in the yard and you need to pull some weeds and you do all this stuff. Well, if they've never been asked to do that kind of work, that's going to be some real culture shock. Now, I'm not telling you to not do it. Like, even if they've never worked and had a single chore a day in their life, still do it. I'm just saying prep yourself because that's going to be a cold splash of water for them. And they're not going to be conditioned for that. This was actually my boys had an observation with this because we're just kind of, you know, Chris has them go and work outside in the yard and and do all kinds of stuff. And then as they got older and they would work with other kids that maybe didn't have to do that as much growing up, they were noticing the difference. They were like, huh, I don't think they've ever had to do this before. It's so important to teach your kids to work. So even on a, on a practical side, I remember the eye-opening moment I had when my kids were like little. We're talking like, I don't know, maybe it was like four was my oldest one. And we all were sitting down at the dinner table and one of my kids said, I don't have a fork. And I instantly like started to get up to go get a fork because my child does not have a fork. I forgot to get the fork. And I, I, guys, it's just a weird thing. I remember it so vividly standing at my silverware drawer, opening the drawer and going, why am I getting him a fork? Well, I was doing it because, of course, I can. And that's that's the issue that we get into as moms is we're like, well, I can just do this myself. It'll be way easier. It'll be faster. It'll be all good. I can get down from the table. I'm not going to spill any milk on my way down. Nothing like that. 
But what the lesson was for me is I realized at that moment I was doing things that my kids were capable of doing and I was not helping them by always doing those all those things for them. But especially when you have really young kids, it's hard to know when you get to that age, you know, whether depending on what you're asking him to do, when you realize, oh, yeah, actually, you probably could have been doing this for yourself a long time ago. We always go down mom guilt road, though, with this thing like, oh, but this is my job and I should be doing that. I totally get that. And I'm not this is not like a pass for, you know, us moms to just sit on the couch and just order our children around. That is definitely not what I'm saying. But it is our job as mom. Part of the work is teaching them to work, to know how to do that. So I could go down a long trail of all of this. That was not my intention for this episode of just being very practical. But I would say that if that's something you haven't really given a lot of thought to on how to just encourage and teach work, I would really rethink that. Because especially as we are in this vein of Proverbs of hard work is a good thing. And the thing that it's not necessarily just about teaching them to do their laundry or teaching them to make some basic meals and that kind of stuff. But hard work also teaches them diligence. And diligence is also brought up often in scripture. The word diligent is defined by something marked by care and persistent effort. Persistent effort. I love both those words, being persistent and effort. There's work here, okay? One of the cool things I think about learning to be diligent, because I just see diligence and work, they just go hand in hand. But Proverbs 8, 17, it says, I love those who love me, and this is this is wisdom talking, and those who seek me diligently find me. And last week, we read a bunch of work words, if you will, in chapter two, where it was talking about seeking and searching for wisdom like it was hidden treasure. But there's this care, this persistent effort to it in that context as related to searching out scripture and searching for the Lord and looking for him with all diligence. And I just see so much of that hand-in-hand relationship with work. If we teach our kids, if we teach ourselves to work at something, to be persistent and put great effort at something, whether that's a practical task that's in front of us or whether that is something that we're doing, studying scripture, the merits of that I think you can go back to that first one uh, we read in chapter 14, 23, where it says, in toil, there is a prophet. There is a prophet in work. And I think you can see that as even as it would portray out spiritually in searching for the first scripture, searching for wisdom. There's diligence, care, and persistent effort. I love that. Um, a verse that's not in Proverbs, but I love this. There's a couple of these. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Isn't that great? The other one, it's Colossians 3.23. says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. But again, it's work. It's hard. It's care and persistent effort. I love that word. And we can put that, whether it's into like the daily tasks that we're doing, whether it's the dishes, whether it's doing laundry, whether it's our job, and we can also do it in our attitude and the way that we search after the Lord and search after the, the truth of Scripture. There's that diligence there. I just love that. It's Deuteronomy 4.9 that also talks about that diligence a little bit. And it says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This is that part of that persistent effort continually bringing these things up to yourself 
stretching yourself. You know, earlier I talked about the women and the messed up culture picture that we have of what women are entitled to do and we deserve to be happy. And, you know, the list goes on and on. It's not really a picture of a woman of grace at all. But we also see it in this one in the avenue of work. I remember reading a quote, and I don't remember who the person was at the time, but she was basically making the argument that she's just she's just not somebody that does laundry. It's just not for her. And I remember thinking, and and she and she actually wasn't even really saying it to be funny, because I could say that too. <laughs> but who wouldn't say that? Is, I mean, is there a woman out there that's like, oh, I just live to do laundry. It's so exciting. Or I just, I, I get so excited to do dishes at night. I mean, that's just really not a thing that we're super excited about. Does it mean that it's something that needs done? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you still do it. It's just funny how we've taken these things that if we just don't think they make our heart sing, then we shouldn't be doing them. Well, sometimes those things are just work. And when we do things that maybe we don't want to do, maybe we don't want to do dishes, maybe we don't want to do the laundry, and we do them anyway, we are, first of all, we're working. And hopefully we're working those things as unto the Lord, not for men. We're doing that faithfully, diligently, persistent, and with effort. I love that. We're also teaching the other, if you've got kids in your household, you're teaching them how to work. You're teaching them that, yep, mom does, we just work. We do some hard stuff. Bunch of other verses in Proverbs that we could tap into on work. I'm not going to go into every one of them, but it's a really great study if you just want to look into Proverbs on the things of work. One of them if you, was we tapped into Proverbs 14.1 at Devoted Live in February when we were talking about the wise woman that builds her house. That takes work, guys. It's the not being intentional about how your house is built that you can watch it come to ruin and just start falling apart. The last verse on this that I want to cover um, is in Proverbs 16, and it says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Because really, guys, we could be doing a whole bunch of work, and maybe it's just busy work. And maybe it's not the stuff that the Lord's called us to do. Maybe it is some of the stuff that we're getting distracted with, as opposed to actually the work that we're supposed to be doing. And I pray this prayer. I pray it for my husband. I pray it for my kids. I pray it for myself that, Lord, I want to commit my work to you. Because this word right here, if we give it to the Lord, if we're, you know, like Colossians 3.23 says that we're working heartily as unto the Lord and not for men, not just doing our work to fill a day or to check a box, but committing it to the Lord. And then it says, your plans will be established. I've got a couple more of these topics, ideas here up my sleeve for the Proverbs. So I hope you guys are down for a few more of these. But I think we're going to also in the coming weeks, we'll look at one on discipline as it talks about that in the Proverbs. So that one's going to be a little bit more for moms. But at the same time, there is always so much in the word for all of us in any stage that you're in. So I hope that our single gals out there don't just tune out because it seems like a word for moms or, you know, and vice versa. I, I hope that we look at all the things that are in scripture and ask the Lord what he has for us in that. So there's that. And then I think we're also going to do one where I'm going to ask my husband to come back in and we're going to talk about the Proverbs that are tricky. Because if you have read the tro Proverbs, there's there's some that seem like, oh, it almost seems like, does that contradict itself? Well, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't do that. But there's some fun ones to look at in there. So I think we're going to spend an episode doing that too. So we will tackle those in the next couple of weeks and we'll catch you next week. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.